0: Who doesn't love to people watch? You know, you're, you're off on vacation you're, you're, or wherever you might be in a major city. You're at a, a sidewalk, restaurant, cafe, and you're seeing all of humanity go by. And it's fun to just wonder, what's that person's story? You know, all different nationalities, races, it's just kind of a real fun thing to do. Well, that's what's been the fun about Holy Week at Christ Church, because we've been people-watching. On Palm Sunday, and today, we're going to continue to do that. Last week, on Palm Sunday, we people watched the crowds and observed the mistakes that they made as they looked at Jesus being crucified. We saw the daughters of Jerusalem. We observed the sneering crowd. We observed the railing thief. As Jesus prayed for all of them, Father, forgive them, they don't get it. But there was one who did get it, right? The penitent thief who said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Well, we're going to people watch again today as we look at the women who are coming to the tomb who are making some mistakes as they're coming to the tomb. And there's three mistakes that we too can make like them. And if we do make them, we too are looking for the living among the dead. And therefore, we treat Jesus as if he's dead and not alive. So I encourage you to open up with me in your Bibles. You can look in the back of your bulletin and follow along, or perhaps on your device. Because what these women make the mistakes of, number one, they denied the miracle of the resurrection. Secondly, they denied the meaning of the resurrection. And third they were denying the power and the new life that the resurrection gives for those who profess belief in Christ. So let's look at this. First, they denied the miracle of the resurrection. Verse 5, the angel plainly said, why do you look for the living among the dead? What they're basically saying in that question is, if you treat Jesus as if he's just a great teacher, as as if his His truth goes marching on, but he does not. He's dead. You'll never find him. He's not there. He's risen. Luke begins right off the bat by reminding us that the tomb is empty. The bones are gone, and Jesus is really, really risen. Do you make that mistake? You may be one who thinks, well, you know, I I believe some of Jesus' teachings are, are really quite wonderful, But, you know, I saw this special on the Discovery Channel. And this scholar, you know, just reminded me that this doesn't happen. I'm a 21st century person. I'm scientifically minded. I I believe in a sense of spiritual resurrection, but I don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. The great irony in that mistake is to say that you're very modern. And Luke is very specifically addressing that very mistake. Here's what we don't recognize today. It's always been impossible to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Today, some people have a trouble believing it by saying they have a scientific mindset. They say, we don't believe in miracles. Well, back then, they didn't believe for an entirely different reason. In the Greco-Roman worldview, they believed that spirit is good and all material matter is dead, physical flesh is bad. And therefore, they considered a physical resurrection an absolutely outlandish idea. Can't happen. How do we know that? Read Acts 17. Paul is in Athens, you know, Greece, and he's preaching at the Areopagus. You can go there and go there today where he stood, and he's preaching about the resurrection, and what do they do? They throw him out. They don't let him finish his speech because they think it's absolutely absurd, yet a few of them did believe. So to say back then people could just believe that kind of stuff is not true at all. It's absolutely absurd. They as much disbelieved in the resurrection as you do. See, Luke is after you, and he's bringing the evidence. Notice he names names. You know, look, there in verse 10. He doesn't just say women in general, apostles in general. He says Mary Magdalene, you know, the former demon-possessed woman that Jesus healed. He mentions Joanna, who, by the way, was the administrator of the wife. He was the, she was the wife of the chief administrator for Herod. You can read about him in Luke 8, three. He also mentions Mary, the mother of James, the Apostle James. And then a bunch of other unnamed women who were there. They were eyewitnesses of the empty tomb. He is risen. To show you the significance of this and the power of this, I want you to imagine something with me. Luke was approximately written about 45 years after Jesus had been raised. I want you to imagine It's April 17th, 1977, which was Easter Sunday in 1977. And let's just say Coming Out Tomorrow is a blockbuster book that says on April 17th, 1977, George Washington appeared in the flesh outside the Ratcliffe House in Fairfax, Virginia, to five people? then to 12, then to 500 more on Easter Sunday morning in 1977, waving to all the native Virginians as they drove by on Little River Turnpike. If you took that book and you read it, would you believe it? I don't think so. People aren't going to make the decision on the basis of a book only. It's an incredible claim. They're not going to decide the claim just by reading the book. They're going to check it out right if nobody in town had ever heard this sort of thing that's the end of the book right it's impossible that people would believe without checking it out because i was there april seventeenth, 1977 i went to church with my dad and if george washington had appeared we drove right by the ratcliffe house i didn't see him Yet every Easter in the media, some Discovery or History Channel special, they'll have some scholar who say, well, the Gospels were written many, 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 many years after. We don't know if there was an empty tomb. We don't know if there were all these eyewitnesses to the resurrection. For all we know, the the legends were written by the church later on to bolster their position. What they're saying is thousands of people Read these documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 1 Corinthians 15, Acts chapter 10, written all within 20 years, okay? 1 Corinthians was written 20 years after the resurrection. People would read these documents, and they would just make up their minds on the basis of it. Thousands of people read these scriptures and believed it and died for it. Do you think they did that just by reading it back then? Back then? It's not a big area. If you, you know, you can, from Asia Minor, you can get to Jerusalem in a few days. Do you think 45 years after somebody could write stories and there was an empty tomb and yet there wasn't an empty tomb and get away with it? Absolutely not. See, if you really believe that these People had changed lives and didn't check out the claims, and yet it was written way, way afterwards. You're committing chronological snobbery and arrogance. Of course, they weren't as technically advanced as we are. Of course, they didn't know what a virus was, but that didn't mean they were stupid. History is on the Christian side, Jesus is risen. That's the only possible explanation. If you treat Jesus as if he's dead, you're flying in the face of the evidence. The angels are saying to the women, if you believe that he was just a legend and that he was just a good man, you'll never find him. You might be a wonderful person, but you're not a Christian. Tim Keller says Christianity is not reformation through conforming to some kind of ideal. It's transformation relating to a living Lord. That's the first mistake, denying the miracle of the resurrection. Second mistake is you're denying the meaning of the resurrection. The angels clue us in here in verse 5 and 6 and 7. Did you not know that the Son of Man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? They understood that he died, but they didn't understand why he died. And that's the question Luke is asking us. Do we understand why he died? You know, because the angel is saying, you don't understand that he must die. Notice the the implication here. He must be delivered, must suffer, must die, must be raised. These women are like a lot of people who are going to church this morning. Frankly, most people who go to church on Easter Sunday do believe in the resurrection. At least they don't have much reason not to. But here's what many don't understand. And what the women at this time don't understand. They don't understand that he had to die. That's what the angels say. You didn't remember he had to die. They knew he died for them in some general way. They knew that he suffered as kind of an example and he kept his integrity as he was nailed to the cross. But they didn't understand that he had to die. All, it, all they knew was, you know, I need to honor Jesus' memory. I need to live a sacrificial life like Jesus and follow his example to live for and to live like Jesus and to honor him. Is that your understanding of Christianity? The angels are saying he had to die, and all your goodness won't be good enough. And as they were applying this, they were, you know, as they were coming to the tomb, they were just flattering themselves that they could live the good life and satisfy God on their own strength. Look what they were doing. Before they realize the good news. It was a funeral. They're walking to the tomb, I'm sure, very slowly. We know in the other gospels, they're wondering how they're going to get that one and a half ton stone out. They want to honor his memory. But when they get the good news that he is not there, and they do remember why he had to die. They go from trudging to running. They go from doing to telling. It's very possible to just like those women to be around Jesus and not get it. The angels don't say, Dear sisters, you need more knowledge. Instead, they said, Dear sisters, the reason your religion is a grind and a burden is because you don't understand that there's good news here. He is risen, he is not here. Well, what is that good news? He had to die. We're not saved by what we do, but rather what he has done on the cross. Holy, done on the cross. We do not contribute at all for our salvation. Well, how can that be? The answer is that when Jesus Christ came, he came to live the life we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. He lived the perfect life, the only human being to ever live a perfect life under the Father. And therefore, he earned the blessing of God, but at the end of his life, he laid it down on the cross and took the curse that we deserve for us. And when you place your trust in that finished work of Christ on the cross for you, yourself, and you put your faith in him, all your sin falls on him. And all the blessing that he deserves falls on you. And God treats you as if you'd done everything that Jesus Christ had done right that's radical and because of we have this complete salvation this complete gift all from him as a gift that we receive as a gift we contribute nothing at all therefore there's a freedom that the christian now possesses the first freedom that we possess is that there's no condemnation It's not my performance that I'm based upon. It's his performance that I place my trust in. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. I'm an adopted child of God. And the second thing that we trust in, that we're also free, not just from condemnation, but also from compulsion. That is, we don't, we now want to obey the Lord. We don't just have to obey we want to obey we no longer obey the law out of a sense of duty being forced or compelled we just want to please our heavenly father who loved us enough to send his son we don't resemble the one who loved me this much so jesus comes and offers this gift as a free gift and we receive it as a gift this gentle accessible savior You humble yourself and admit that all you need is need. Some of you might have thought like these women that Jesus died as your example. And you try as a Christian to live like him. Stop it. That's not good news. He died as your substitute and your savior and you're completely now saved through trusting in him. Some of you might have thought that the miracle of the resurrection is just kind of like a TV special effect. George Lucas kind of put it together, right? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it miraculous? Isn't it great? God is here in some general way. No. You need to understand Jesus had to die for you. Look, you were so sinful, and yet Jesus Christ loved you so much he was willing to lose the universe. He was willing to lose his father, to be cut off and experience hell on the cross rather than lose you until you see the death of Christ as your confidence before God and not just your example, you're seeking the living among the dead. You're still treating him as he's just some dead religious founder. That's the meaning of the resurrection. And it gives us abundant life today when we place our trust in him. Receive it. Third... They're denying the spiritual new life that faith in Christ gives to all those who follow him. That's the third group. And you can treat Jesus that way as dead as well. You may believe and understand the miracle of the resurrection. You may understand the meaning of the resurrection. But you can deny the new life that he gives you in Christ. Because when it comes right down to it, your actual relationship with him might as well be dead. You don't feel him, you don't sense him, you don't know him, you just know about him. I'm talking about good, professing Christian people here. Intellectually, you understand it all, but there's actually no spiritual reality in your life, perhaps. Let me ask you, do you have somebody you, that mean a lot to you and they've, they've died? Someone you admire, someone you love, and you go to their grave, how do you relate to them? put flowers down. You think about them. You might shed a tear. It can be inspiring. It can be very moving, but it's not personal. You're not speaking with them. You're not dealing with them. You're you're dealing with a memory of them. That's how these women were trying to worship Jesus. And the angels said, he's not here. You can't do it that way. And here's what I want to point out. Are you sure you're not doing that? Is your prayer life like standing at a grave? Do you sense his presence when you go to him through his word to prayer? When the angels say you're not looking in the right place, what they mean is now go look in the right place. The Bible is filled with sensory language. Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Jonathan Edwards said of this verse, doesn't the psalmist know the readers know the Lord is good? Isn't it enough to know that the Lord is good? Of course they know the Lord is good, but of course it's not enough. You have to taste and see that the Lord is good. It isn't enough to know he's risen, to believe he's risen, to even believe why he's risen. You have to see that he's risen. You have to find him risen. You see, Easter pushes you. Beyond just agreeing with the facts, Easter says he's a living reality for you. It's not enough to know he loves you. You have to know his love. It's not enough to just know he's good. You have to taste and see that he's good. And being a Christian means you have now an ability in your heart to actually grab hold of this great truth. To know him. To sense him. To find him. Not just to know that, but to find him as he is. Gentle. Accessible for me. Compassionate to me sympathizing with me, never casts me out. Jesus is strong and kind. Why is it that some always need to gain love or approval from people around them through relationships? Because they're not tasting his love. They know about it, but they don't taste it. Why do you think some need to gain glory and significance from their career and they never get enough of it? Because they're not seeing His glory. They're not finding it. He's the risen Lord. So if you find yourself in that third group, here's what I want to ask of you. I would like you to say to God and to yourself between today and and November 28th, that's the first Sunday of Advent, that will change in me. I'll ask the Holy Spirit, change me. Because some of you are thinking, I really don't know him that way, Gene. He's not that much of a living Lord to me. Every so often I get moved in church. Every so often I can tell when I'm praying. But I often sense there's more to it when it comes right down to it, I I, I, I don't spend the time. I, I don't see the beauty of his word. I don't see the beauty in my prayer time. I, 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 I need to be accountable to other people. This year, I want to know him as the living Lord. That's what I'm asking you to do. Would you consider that? Please consider that. We have all kinds of little churches here of totally imperfect people. People who are just slogging through the Christian life together. Come come walk with us. You know, if you're interested in that, we're going to have a next steps group that's just walking through the first eight chapters of Romans, talking about reading the Bible together, praying, being part of the church, living by the power of the Holy Spirit, together as God people. Uh, We're going to start that over the next couple weeks. If you're interested in that at all, to jumpstart this living faith, I encourage you to take that communication card that's out in front of you, write your name, write your phone number, write your email, and we'll figure out a time. I don't know when. It's a busy time around here right now, but we'll figure it out. But don't be caught just staying where you are. Bishop Juwan tells me when they want to catch a monkey in Nigeria, all they got to do is put a banana in a jar. Because the monkey will come up to the jar and grab the banana. But, and then they'll get caught by a trapper. And they, w- they won't escape because they've got to keep the banana held. They hold the banana. And they'll try to run away with a jar on their hand. Because they won't let go. So many people, that banana represents their life. They think it's the abundant life, but it's not. It's a lie. Because that's what the world tells us. We need to let go and let God. I encourage you, all you need is a Savior. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's pray that that will happen in each and every one of our lives. Please join me. Father, we thank you for giving us this Resurrection Day. And we ask that you would come meet us right where we are in our journeys with you. Some of us don't even believe in the miracle of the resurrection. I pray you'd help us to see the powerful evidence for it. Some of us perhaps don't even understand the meaning of the resurrection. Help us to see it's not what we do for you, but what you've done for us. That you had to die upon the cross for us, and that's our hope. So many of us don't even know the the spiritual new life that's available to us because your son is alive now as our living Lord. We pray that between now and the first Sunday of Advent, you would come to us and be real in our lives. And so, Lord, we confess right now that we're sinners, we're rebels to the core. And Lord, we, we confess it before you and lay it all before you. And we want forgiveness for all of our sins. And Lord, we give you our lives now to do it as you wish. And we confess and turn to you now. And we ask that you would manifest yourself to us so we can now bring heaven on earth. Blessing like our Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.